Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Hey church, today as part of our collection of talks we're going to be continuing reading through Ephesians and today I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 1-13 and I'm going to read it in the NIV version and it says For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In this reading, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal promise that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Wow. So we're going to put up a a picture of the eternal wall, which is the eternal ring there. Um, Nathan, I've changed things around a little bit. And this morning we're continuing on in this conversation. And as you read with Paul there, Paul is talking about this grace that has been shown to him. But ultimately this grace that has been shown to everyone, no Jew and non-Jew or Gentile. And that how that we've all been brought into this one new body in a sense of riches in Christ. And then together we make that known. And that is you and I. So it's, it's not like when I wake up in the morning, what is my purpose? Uh, when I wake up in the morning, I am part of a water purpose. And this picture of together, the unified church and what can happen. Now behind me is the image of the eternal wall. Now some of you may have heard of this. Um, it has just recently been given planning permission uh, to go ahead just outside Birmingham. And the football chaplain of Leicester City Football Club, I wasn't expecting too many woohoos for that one. Um, well, he uh, was carrying a cross 14 years ago through the city of Leicester uh, to mark Easter. And he, he, he just started to think about, you know, what can we do to celebrate the fact that God does miracles every day? And so as he started to think, God put this image on his mind. He's been through the planning processes. He's doing all that. He's raising the money. He's trying to put, and ultimately he's building the stories because this eternal wall will be made up of one million bricks. And for the quantity surveyors in the room, that's a whole lot of counting, isn't it? One million bricks. But each brick will have on it a special code that when you hold your phone against it, the code will take you to a unique story of something and someone where God did a miracle. How cool is that? 
Now this, to me, is the perfect representation of what can be achieved when the church works together as one. You see, we're really good at celebrating the big story, you know, the, the chaplain who came up with the idea, but his idea only works because one million followers of Jesus Christ have put enough trust in God to say, I have a miracle that happened recently and I wanna tell my story. And so together, this becomes something that's worth listening to. The power of unity, the power of the church, the power of God's spirit, the power of the miraculous, the power of testimony, the power of story, the power of God's grace all worked out in this image. That's great, isn't it? Okay, so I, I want to go there with my phone and like sort of stick my phone up and read all the stories. One million of them, that's going to take me a while. Then I want you to put up the image of William Seymour. And so, well, we're going back, aren't we? And, and I wanted to give you an image of something that when the church works well, no, it's good. It's like, yeah, let's go and see this big image. Look at how faithful God has been. Well, in 1906, um, William Seymour had been on a journey of looking into Pentecostal things. Now, does God still heal today? Does God still move by the power of his spirit and a sense of the gifts of the spirit, like tongues and prophecy, etc.? No, does God still fill his people with his spirit in that way? And he'd gone to hear this preacher called Parham, and when he got there, because it was... No, in that time, uh, when he arrived as a black man in the room, he was moved to the section where black people sit. Now, I, I would not be back. No, I, I can only imagine what that feels like. I've never felt it, but I can only imagine to be brought into a church service and be told that I have a special section for me to sit in. But he stayed. He stayed because perhaps, well, it felt normal at that time, although how horrendous. He stayed because he was hungry to hear about God. And as he listened in, Parham started to unpack the scriptures and talk about that God still does these things. And, and he was so hungry for the things of God. In 1906, he started out on this uh, just to see God move moment. And he thought, well, we'll pursue God for a couple of days. Well, let's, let's see what happens. And over a period of three years, this is 1906, in America, in Los Angeles, in a place called Azusa Street, he started to see God move. Now, God was moving in miracles. God was moving in so many parts, but God was moving in a way to speak to the rest of the United States. And how was he moving? Well, never like before had anyone ever seen black, white, male, female coming together under the banner of Christ to lead a revival move of God. It was the mystery. It was God revealing in the unity of the church what way this new humanity should be, what way a fresh expression of followers of Jesus Christ should truly live. No one should be put in a back row. No one should be left out. No one should be isolated, but we should all come together as equals under God. As a result of this, 100 years later, 100,000 people gathered outside the building to celebrate. As a result of this, 600 Pentecostals are now worshiping Jesus around the world. But Parham, who had been such an influence in Seymour, well, he was invited to preach. He came, he spoke. And at the end of this, he walked out and he called what was happening an affront to God. 
He went across the street, he hired a building, and he started a revival for whites only. Well, it didn't last very long because God's not in that. But in that moment and in that time, people who were involved in this moment where God was speaking loud to the rest of the world, this is how fresh humanity should look like. They caved into the pressure of the culture of the world and instead of replicating this, they built white denominations of Pentecostals around the world. So that went from a good big circle to something else, didn't it? You see, the church has a special potential to become a witness of what God has planned all along to happen in this world. But it has to come as one. And it only comes by one, by being humble. And there's a humility that we read from Paul when we read through this time and again. Paul emphasizes the grace of God. Paul isn't ashamed. Paul isn't going, you know, look at me, I've got everything together. Look at me, you know, I was this, I was that, all of those things. In fact, he says, I could boast more than anyone could, doesn't he? He talks about his story and his history. But he realizes that the position he stands in now is only because of the grace of God. I've stood on this platform many times and I've talked about how that we need to, whatever God puts in, needs to go out. No, God's love comes in, let's love people out. No, God's grace comes in, let's let God's grace go out. No, God's generosity, let's be generous and, and so on. That we're meant to be this river that flows, not some big rock that creates a dam of what God moves in and through. But sometimes I've realized that I haven't emphasized the need to just remind ourselves that we're all products of grace. That there is such a richness and a freedom to be found when you and I realize that I don't need to play, I, I, I don't need to attain, I, I, I don't need to be all of this. I, I, I am who I am because of his grace. That God's grace comes to me first before it goes to anyone else second. That I am free. I'm free from a past. I am free from every mistake. I am free from every mess up. I am free from all my regrets. I am free from them moments where you go, oh, I am free. And I've been set free through the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't have to listen to the old. I just need to listen to the new. You see, the old is gone. The new has come. So whenever we're playing about with the old, you know, we're missing what God is saying to the new. And it's so important that in this moment, we hear what God is saying to us as followers of Jesus Christ, not people before Christ. And there will be people in this room, including me at times, where I focus too much on who I was and not enough on who I am. And in Ephesians, for three chapters, we are reminded who we are in Christ. You are chosen. You are blessed. You are adopted. You were once a stranger, but now you are brought home. You were once a foreigner, but you are no longer a foreigner. You were once in dead and sin, but now you're alive in Christ. You are, reminds you continually of who you are now in this moment.
grace in and then grace out. We got to stand in a position with Paul and say, no matter what God does through me, it only happens because of his grace. It only happens because of his grace. Because that's where I find my peace, my center, and ultimately my significance. Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the work of his holy power. God only uses people who need grace. If you think you don't need grace, you will never ever reach the potential that God has for you. If you think I'm okay, I'm all good, you will never see the full potential of God's revelation in your life. You need to know it's about grace, that your story will not dictate your future, but equally like Paul, you will never be restricted by your reputation. And when I say that, I know there are people in this room need to hear that. Because sometimes we have things in our lives that we know someone else knows. <laughs> and we read people in scripture and we forget these were human beings and their whole lives were led bird of the church. Everything they knew, everybody knew all about us. But no one can hold you to ransom. Because your reputation will not restrict what God will do with your life. You cannot live in the old because the old will breed fear. You need to live in the new because, well, it's the freedom. And you need to let go of what others know. Because your reputation will not restrict your future. When we read through Paul, he is a product of grace. And he calls it a, a gift. <laughs> no, a, a gift does something, doesn't it? We all like gifts. But this gift, well, it sets me free ultimately from that search of significance. Do you know that there's a battle on for your significance? There's a battle on for to try and get you to buy into something else than Jesus Christ that will make you significant in your life. It's, it's an everyday thing. It, it happens. It started in the Garden of Eden, and we go back to, well, creation, where God left the best to last and said, I'm going to create man and I'm going to create woman. I'm going to give them equal authority to go into the garden and to bring maximum life from it. I'm going to give them everything they need to see this become a reality. And in that moment, they are living in their full potential. And what we read is that, well, God just came at night and like, to put it in a Belfast term, he just went for a wee dander in the garden with Adam and Eve. And I say that in the, in the just purest of sense. Can, can you imagine that, that your life just is so naturally connected with God that it's like, oh, how you doing? Doing okay, Father. I'm doing okay, God. And uh, there's this sense of just walking in relationship, taking for granted that just every day God turns up and, and we just have this incredible relationship. Can, can you imagine how significant that feels? Whenever we look at the creation story, 
we're told that God spoke and there was light. God spoke and separated the, the earth from the sea. God spoke. But when it comes to you and I, what we're told is that God, when he created humanity, he breathed. Do you know how significant that is? We see the only other time God speaks about his breath is when, when he says he put his breath into his word. And we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that all scripture is God breathed. Now, we, if you hang around church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll soon figure out this book is really important. No, this is one of the things we fight for. This is one of the things we stand for. This is one of the things we're not going to let go of. We're not going to compromise on. We're, we're not going to rip pages out of it because we don't really like what it says. You know, this is significant. But think about that the only other thing that God breathed into to bring life was you. <laughs> How significant are you? But what happened is in that garden, the snake or Satan came along and he whispered and really he did what he always does. There's different ways to frame it, but ultimately what he does, he says, God's keeping something back from you. There's more. You can have some more. And, and in that moment, Eve thought, well, maybe he is. Maybe there is more. Maybe I can find greater significance in myself than I can in God. And that's where the journey begins. And from that moment, we have had a battle to try and find our significance in something else or someone else than Jesus Christ. But we're living in 2020, aren't we? And we've realized, even as church, we've realized that our significance is not found in our careers, but it turns out they can disappear in a, in a moment. It's not found in our bank account. Turns out furlough isn't enough. Turns out that our friendship group friends are brilliant, but we can't see any of them. Now, all of these things that we find significance in, turns out they're not that significant to our identity. So this is a moment for the church to realize and be refreshed in that you and I are only truly significant in Christ Christ alone, nothing else or no one else, only Christ. See, the battle that goes on for our significance is, is still happening today. It's happening in your life now. It's happening in my life now. We will be tempted. We will be taken away. We will think, well, if I had that above God, then perhaps that will bring greater significance, satisfy, that will do all of those things. But nothing will. We got to get it. This is the, the starting point. This is the point of grace where I am humble enough to say, I have tried all sources of life, all significance. I have tried everything else, but nothing satisfies like Jesus Christ. And I am staying in this grace and I'm not taking one food out of it because it's in this grace I find my significance. I find my significance. Are you significant today? Absolutely, follower of Jesus Christ. Am I significant? Absolutely, I'm significant. Am I superior? No. <laughs> See, people have tried to build superior race, haven't they? That's the danger. People in church have acted superior. No, oh, that's one of those ones as a pastor. If I said, oh, that a tenor for everybody who said that person looked down on me, I'd be rich. I wouldn't be rich, but I'd have a few quid like. Because sometimes our significance can make us feel like we're superior. But Paul is quick to remind us that it's God's grace. 
See, there's something about God's grace stops us from feeling superior. The moment we forget about God's grace is the moment we become superior. And in that superiority, we, 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 we make ugly the image of God. And there is nothing uglier than a follower of Jesus Christ looking down their nose at someone else. No, I get the saying, there go I, but by the grace of God. It's not in the Bible, but tell you, some people have said that in my company, and I have felt like you disgust me. Because they're not saying it with a sense of, there go I. They're saying, there go I. Is there something about this grace? There's something about the unity of his church. I am in Christ. I am free. I no longer have to build up. I no longer have to earn it. I no longer have to prove I am who I am. And it's in that place that I build my new life from. So I'm no longer a slave to sin or fear. So I no longer have to live in sin and fear. I'm no longer far from God. I'm close so I can live from that new place. Whenever we look at the New Testament, there's a couple of words that resurface around the word new. And uh, whenever Jesus was talking about uh, fresh wineskins or new wineskins, instead of old, the term there is neos and it means, um, well, fresh wine. New wine, fresh. Whenever we're talking about new creation, no, 2 Corinthians 5.17, no, I'm a new creation in, in Christ. It's this sense of something that has never existed before being brought into a reality, like almost like a new substance. And so when we put the understanding of new together in the New Testament, what it's saying is you and I are a fresh humanity. We're something new. And we have an opportunity in that freshness and in that unity of all different tribes, tongues, stories, backgrounds, wealth, education, all of those things. Destiny, stand up in a freshness and in a unity and, and, and reveal Christ's richness to the world. You just thought you were Stephen. You just thought you were Michelle. You just thought you were Karen. You just thought you were... So much more. You're so much more. Read Ephesians 1 to 3, and you'll you'll just get a glimpse of that so much more. I have a significance. So what about this unity? And we're gonna well, we're gonna bring it together around unity. I was reading a book recently on teams. Uh, and well, the guy's a Christian who wrote it and he, he said this quote and it made me laugh because not in a laugh and a, oh, ha, ha, I'm just so glad that happens. Uh, but it just made me laugh in a sense of that so happens. <laughs> and he said these words, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a church leader. I have no idea how I got saved. 
And he was really just, well, he was pointing towards some of the things that can go on in church at times. Now, of course, we're not talking about UT. We're talking about the church. Because you, you got to get the global sense of what Paul's talking about. Paul isn't thinking, no, well, I hope UT Belfast get along. <laughs> and no, he's thinking, well, I hope UT Belfast get along and they get along with every other Christian church on the planet. Big picture. But isn't it amazing that sometimes we even struggle with the just getting along? <laughs> and there has to be this pursuit of unity. Ephesians 4, 3 to 6 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called with one hope when you were called. The Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. And there's this priority of being unified, being one. Because Paul tells us that we have something to say. No, that eternal wall, that's got something to say, doesn't it, to everybody around us. One million people saying that God still does miracles today. Now, that's, that's something to say. No, recently they put a value on the church and how it brings joy to society in the United Kingdom. Turns out if you put a value on it, that it's 12.6 billion pounds a year of value of joy and trust and confidence that the church brings to society. The church has got something to say. But when the church is unified, it opens up the door for God to do something incredible. But when there's disunity, those spiritual powers and realms that we are called to speak to, it opens up the door for him to cause chaos. It really matters. J.F. Alexander on Being Church said, in this situation and in every situation, can you just love each other? <laughs> can you just serve each other? Can you live in unity? Can you speak the truth to each other in love? Francis Chan in his book, A Raising Hell, said to be focused in this moment, we need to be focused on discipleship, mission, and the pursuit of unity. How do we keep unity? Well, there are different touch points, aren't they? And I'm setting this out as a bit of a foundation because we're going to go into chapters four to six soon. And when Paul is writing through this, he's quick to remind us and bring us to these points. But there's some things we're going to talk about in Ephesians four to six that at times have brought disunity in the church. And there's something about the Bible that we have to figure out very quickly what we're going to fight for and what we're going to disagree with and not allow it to hurt. Not allow it to divide, but we may disagree. You see, we're going to fight for this, aren't we? We're going to fight for the Bible. We're, we're going to fight for the fact that there is one triune God. We're going to fight for things like Jesus is the only way to heaven. We're going to fight for the fact that, well, Jesus is Lord, fully God. We're, we're going to fight for the fact that he alone is king of the kingdom. We're, we're, there, there's certain things we are just going to say, uh, sorry, I, I, I'm not going to compromise on that. 
We've got to make sure that that's the priority. Because there's a whole lot of things that we can disagree on, but we're not to divide over. There's a whole lot of things that people over the years in church have used to cause division. And all a divided church does is open up the door for those powers and principalities to come in and cause chaos. So I want you and I to, well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it in love. We need to grow up. There's something about this letter of Ephesians that well, it calls us to be mature. <laughs> mature in understanding who we are in Christ, but also mature in how we act with others in relation to Christ. So if there's certain things that aren't worth fighting for that I am fighting for, Stephen, are you saying I'm immature? I am. No, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a month, six months, a year, a couple of years, I'm not. <laughs> I'm saying we need to chat those things through, work those things through. That's part of our discipleship. But if you've been following Jesus and claiming him as your Lord for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you have missed, you've missed it all. Because Jesus promises and prophesies that he will build his church. But his priority is around the unity of the church. And that's where our priority needs to be. See, we can disagree but not divide. Yes, can we all do that? Yeah? I'm, I'm, I need to come closer and hear a little bit more of that. We can disagree without dividing. I know you can, or else I wouldn't have even gone here with this, would I? And there's some things we will fight for. When it comes to unity, we will be determined to be a good neighborhood, won't we? Good neighbors to each other. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to, no, if you're not feeling too well, just like any neighbors, we'll, we'll bake you a wee bit of dinner and we'll throw it up a street. If, no, we'll check in and see how you're doing. We'll... We'll, we'll try and keep the peace in the street. We don't want to be that neighbor. No, we've all lived in that street, haven't we? That crazy neighbor that causes chaos and we're all praying that God would move them out of their house. No, the, we're, we don't want to be those. So in our neighborhood of the church, we're going to be good neighbors. We're going to be neighborly. We're going to love each other. We're going to reach out to each other. We're going to forgive quick. We're going to show grace because we've been shown grace. We're going, to, uh, we're going to bring joy, aren't we? We're going to be joyful neighbors. Nothing like that old grumpy neighbor. Some of you are like, what grumpy neighbor? Then it's you. Because <laughs> every street has a grumpy neighbor, don't they? Just know like, oh, um, yeah, do you know? Let's be the, how are you doing? Doing all right, smiley neighbor. Uh, in church, let's, let's be that. That really helps keep unity. If we look at church as a street and we want it to be the best neighborhood to live in, let's be good neighbors. And I think, the other thing we need to realize that how we do church, well, we've all got our way. Some people would like it lighter, some people like it quieter, some people like it darker, some people like it lights on, some people would like more emphasis on this, some people would like more emphasis on that, some people would like um, all of those things. But here at UT Belfast, we're committed to working out the gospel of Jesus Christ 
fully convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. He'll change your life and change your world, change your family, change your destiny, change everything about you. Transformation, no problem at all. But equally, he calls his church to reach out their hands and to love their neighbor really well, practically. So we say, let's not forget about the poor. We say everyone's welcome. We want to be a church that well, knows no boundaries and barriers. We also want to be a church that represents our city, a church that says, well, we, we want to look like our city. That's really important. And we've got certain emphasis and certain ways that we do church. And that's just the way we're going to do it. <laughs> it's not worth falling out over, is it? Because we're a good neighborhood. And I can honestly say that the majority of you, no, <laughs> that all of you are welcome to live in my street. And what I mean by that is that I have been a pastor in this church now for I think about 14 years. And over those years, some of us have had differences and some of us have had discussions. <laughs> but I can honestly say, I'm really glad you're in my neighborhood. that I genuinely want you to be the best neighbor you can possibly be. I, I really want you to be the best follower of Jesus Christ possible. And I know that's the, the heart of the eldership of the church. Now, currently we're not praying any of you out of the building. I was supposed to get a laugh. That was, that was, <laughs> no, because we don't, we don't do that. <laughs> we're really glad that you're our neighbors. And we hope that we can be your neighbors and good neighbors. And as we walk into chapters four to six, as we discuss some things, can we remain neighborly and love each other? This, this is a time like never before. Now, 2020 is one of those things that every time I stand up here, I said at the first service, I said now, you're determined not to mention it. But then we miss the opportunity. Because this is an opportunity like never before for the church to stand up and reveal Christ. And you know what? It starts in here. <laughs> so I am committed to you. I ask you to be committed to me. I, I ask that we're all committed to one another. And that we're going to be great neighbors. Build a great neighborhood. And we're all going to fight for the things that really matter. We're going to disagree with, well, the things that don't matter as much. We're not going to let them divide us. In fact, we're going to see that as freedom. And together, we're going to become the best neighborhood possible that everybody wants to be part of. Because that's what Paul reminds us the church is meant to be. Can we pray?
going to ask us to stand because, I don't know, I just feel like if I was you, I would want to stand. There's a whole lot of sitting goes on. Okay, so let's take a wee minute to look around and you might need to refocus because uh, I don't know about you, but I am, I'm like bumping into like my dad and all in the street, not even knowing who he is with his mask on. It's kind of weird and strange. It's like, who is that person that just spoke to me? Oh, it's your aunt, Stephen. All oh, right. Um, and so it takes a wee moment, doesn't it? Just to focus, look around. Now at home, um, if you're engaging with us online, you're part of our neighbourhood, uh, and we'd love you to be closer. I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about just, we want to make sure that we're all neighbours together. But let's, let's look around and, and just remind ourselves that we're going to pursue unity together. Yeah? No? Yes? That's, you need to speak a whole lot louder because when you put masks on, I go deaf. So we're going to pursue unity above all things, yeah? yeah. And, and I know that's your heart. That's, this isn't one of those ones, no. Um, you genuinely are significant, beautiful, wonderful children of God. <laughs> And you're all that on your own. <laughs> but together? Wow. Wow. So Father, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for those who are joining us online this morning. And we are who we are because of the grace of God. But that should never cause us to look back only forward. It should never bring us to a place where we sit in regret of the old, just oh Lord if only but it should free us up to grab hold of the new fresh humanity new wine a new way not superior Jesus.